0: everyone. Welcome to another edition of BAM's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family. We're glad to have you. I'm Kerry Clark from BAMAMag.com, joined as always by Rudy Armand of 97.7 Zone in Huntsville and Thomas Watts, our producer, Emeritus from Touchdown Alabama Magazine. We're coming off a win over Arkansas, 27-14 was your final, and we're going to do a brief recap of that, and then we'll be previewing Texas A&M. Uh, In hour number one, joined by an Aggies journalist, Suzanne Halberton of 24-7. And then in hour two, we're going to talk a lot of recruiting. Another quarterback has joined the Alabama Commitment family, and uh, John Garcia of scout.com will be with us around uh, five minutes into the second hour to discuss that and much, much more, including several interesting developments on defensive line recruiting, specifically defensive end slash jack linebacker recruiting. But I want to go ahead and bring in Drew now. And, uh, Drew, during the game against Arkansas, a uh, little sideline occurrence happened between Brett Bielema and Cam Robinson. And uh, now the video has come out, and the SEC office has dealt with it as they saw fit, which was next to nothing but a verbal reprimand. But, uh, I got a funny feeling that you have some thoughts on that incident.
1: Yeah, I, uh, I made my feelings known on Twitter. Uh, I thought it was completely Bush League. Uh, and I and I thought Steve Shaw and the SEC officials kind of uh, just tried to cover it up, because the bottom line is, as they say, the tape don't lie, and whoever recorded that, uh, they didn't throw the flag until Vince McMahon, I mean Bert, I mean Bret Bielema uh, staggered backwards and then started pumping his fist like a Neanderthal, and uh, they threw the flag on Cam Robinson. Luckily, you know, it didn't cost Alabama the game. It was the ninth straight ass-kicking of Arkansas. And uh, and it's sad that, you know, this has taken on the life of its own and kind of gotten so much pub. But the bottom line is, it was a Bush League move by a guy that's supposed to be a leader of men. And now you know why Arkansas is Arkansas and Alabama is Alabama. Because Alabama is led by one of the all-time coaching greats, who, in my opinion, will end up uh, on Mount Rushmore with Coach Bryant as maybe the two best and greatest to ever do it. And then you've got Brett Bielema who will be selling insurance in some Midwestern town probably or be coaching someone's offensive line within the next two to three years when he gets his uh, tail run out of the Southeastern Conference if he keeps up crap like that. And uh, that's all I have to say. Uh, it was an ugly game. You know, Brett's team's played with a lot of physicality. But with, you know, histrionic crap like that uh, and then a stupid fake punt that everybody knew was coming Uh, Guess what, Coach? This ain't the Big Ten. This is big boy football. You got your tail kicked again, go home. Now you're going to recruit all weekend. You need to. Go get some more players, Coach. You ain't got enough yet to play with the big boys.
0: Thank you, sir. And uh, we're going to go ahead and do the participation chart right now. Fifty-eight people played. It was a closer game, so not as many got in, obviously. But the starters on offense were Robinson, Pierce Baker. We now know how to say that. Kelly, Taylor, Jackson. Green, Howard, Coker, Henry, Ridley, and Stewart on defense. A'shaun, Robinson, Payne, Reed, Duvall, Lee, Raglan, Hamilton, Jones, Humphrey, Jackson, and Matias Smith. And out the bench, Alabama brought in uh, Chris Black, Ronnie Harrison, Sylvie, Charlotte, uh, Hootie Jones, Tony Brown, Cam Sims, Scarborough, uh, Deshaun Hand, Reuben Foster, J.K. Scott, and Drake, an Offensive Player of the Week for the uh, coaches. Bateman is holder, Mo Smith, Ryan Anderson, Jabril Washington, even back in the special teams rotation. Burgess Becker made the tackle on the fake punt. Drew referenced. Uh, Mika Fitzpatrick another game for him. Tim Williams another sack. Petway, Bozeman, Derek Keefe, Illinois Smith, Hale Heck, This guy's first career reception. Parker Barano, uh, Allen on the D line. Dakota Ball, Darren Lake, and Adam Griffith, who had a so-so night going two for four. Uh, we are going to have to take a break in just a minute, but before we do that, Drew, I wanted to give you a chance to express your thoughts. I'll tell you, we'll do that coming out of the break. Uh, we're, we're going to have a brief, brief, brief commercial now, and we'll be right back with you. You're listening to BAM's Radio.
2: Do you love books, but find that you never have time to read them? Well audible.com has the perfect solution get audiobooks and listen to those books you've been meaning to read while on the go at the gym during your commute audible.com provides over 180,000 audio programs from the leading audiobook publishers, broadcasters entertainers Magazine and newspaper publishers, as well as business information providers. Their app is free and works on iPhones, iPads, Android devices, and Windows phones. You can also download and listen on your Kindle Fire and over 500 MP3 players. And unlike a streaming or rental service, with Audible, you own your books, so you can access your books anytime and anywhere, right from your smartphone. Audible.com also has the Great Listen Guarantee. If you decide you don't like the book you chose, no worries. You can exchange any book you aren't happy with for another title, anytime, no questions asked. If you know about me, all the stuff I do with Too Deep Zone and BAM's radio, as well as being a full-time graduate student, I'm a busy guy. Audible.com lets me grab a book and listen on the go where I'm commuting to and from class or in between classes. And just today, if you go to audible.com Bama, you get a free trial.
0: Okay, just a couple of points about that. Uh, production 101, the audio goes on channel one, and the background music goes on channel two. But the levels are different when you record a spot. The levels for the audio are hotter than the levels for the background music.
3: Yeah, the great part I about that ahead. is a continue, <laughs> re, edit, re-upload, run through a buffer that is speech, blog talk. That happens. Luckily, I can pull it down and edit it for the normal for the I, I, podcast version. I was
0: just letting our listeners know that the typical commercial, the audio and the uh, background music don't have the same levels. But uh, the message was there, and we're certainly glad to have uh, those good folks with us on as sponsors. So that's good. And we'll be hearing from even more new stuff uh, later in the show. But back to BAMS Radio, I think we'd be remiss uh, if we didn't at least touch on the topic of the, uh, I guess you call it, I call it retirement, he calls it resignation, of uh, Mr. Stephen Orr Spurrier, age 70, of Columbia, South Carolina. Now, I have to tell a quick story about the first time I ever met Coach Spurrier. It was 1994. It was the coach's luncheon that's held a couple of days before the SEC championship game in Atlanta. So we're at a fancy hotel downtown, I don't know, Peace Plaza, you know, Hilton, one of those. Having lunch and it's uh it's uh you know how it is when you uh drink a lot of sweet tea at those lunches, you have to uh matriculate to the men's room. And I did so and uh, lo and behold in the very next urinal is Coach Stephen Orr Spurrier. And I said, Coach, how you doing? Ah, pretty good, pretty good, how you And I told him that I knew one of his former teammates who had since passed away, but uh, a gentleman that was a friend of mine uh, from my time living in Atlanta uh, that had played with Wally. Wally was the guy's name, Wally Colson. He played with Coach Spurrier. And when he heard that, he really opened up and warmed up. Oh, Wally, how's he doing? At the time, Wally was still alive. So we had a good little convo about that. And he was very nice to me. I talked to some other people. such as a contributor to this show, Jimmy Stein, and he didn't have such a good experience when he met Coach Furrier. But I guess name dropping helps. But uh, Drew, I wanted to get your thoughts about a guy that essentially, you know, to me, if you're two and four and you don't like how things are going, is that really the time to step away? Could you not have at least waited till between dabble whipping your ass and the bowl game? Or is this what do you think about the timing, Drew?
1: Well, uh, I, I think he quit. Uh, I think, uh, you know, he, he if you've ever seen The Believer, which Kenny Chesney did this summer about Coach Sprayer, is a lot, a lot of uh, people ask him early in his career in high school why he didn't quit football because he didn't play much. And, you know, it was before he moved to quarterback and they he kind of revolutionized high school football in Johnson City, Tennessee. And he said it was because he, he felt like if he did that, he was being a quitter. And uh he didn't want to be a, known as a quitter. Well he quit on his football team and he quit because he was going to get his ass beat by Vanderbilt probably. And uh they probably might they might have won one more game because bottom line they're the worst team in the southeastern conference that I've seen on the field this year. And and then and another bottom line is, uh, I think he also realized his son had no shot at being retained as a coach or uh, and of course, not no shot at the head coaching job. But even being retained as an assistant, they all got lazy as a staff as recruiters, and you get to you see what you've got on the field now. And the bottom line is, is that Steve Spurrier is on Mount Rushmore of the SEC coaches, but nationally, nowhere close. Oh no, he's not in the same class as Coach Bryan or Coach Saban. No. Nope. I mean he, what he is is a he's a builder of programs. He resuscitated Duke, tremendous. Uh, won a conference title there, got the Gators to be a national uh, a factor in power, and then did a good job getting South Carolina relevant. But the bottom line is he won one national title and coached zero unbeaten seasons. So, I mean, he's he's one of the greatest coaches in SEC history. He revolutionized the conference from the standpoint of offense. With, you know, he was the first guy to come around and throw the ball around. But uh, everybody's caught up to him now. And to me, he, he got out when he needed to, but he should have either retired at the end of last year or finished this season, despite even if you finish with the worst record in the SEC.
0: Yeah, I, I agree with most of that. I think they probably would have beaten Vanderbilt and won one more game. I think they were going. looking at probably four and eight. But uh, it, there wouldn't have been no bowl game uh, this year to worry about. Uh, you're right. And I, I think deep in his heart, he really didn't want to lose big two years in a row to Dabo. That wasn't the only reason. But I promise you it was a factor. Uh, but at the same time, It's a lot to be said for somebody that won, I believe, six SEC championships at Florida in 12 years. That's pretty good. Uh, When he was there, he owned Georgia. He owned Tennessee. He owned Tennessee. Uh, I know Fulham beat him maybe once, but some of his quips about you can't spell citrus without UT, pretty funny. Uh, you know, you know, <laughs> he, you know, he had a fun time with Peyton Manning. He had a fun time with Philip Fulmer.
1: Uh, one of the was one of his whipping boys. Uh, yeah, well, one of the funniest tweets I read was from one of his own players, uh, Danny Werfel, threw an interception early in his career and said he went up to Coach Spurrier and apologized for what happened. And Coach Spurrier told him, "said Well, Danny, uh, you know, don't you don't have to apologize. It's my fault for putting you in the game." You yeah, know.
0: yeah, that's a- conversation that's probably been had on the Alabama sidelines a few times. But uh yeah, he I mean he had a great career and you're right. SEC Rushmore, yes, National Rushmore, no. You have to win more than one national championship to be on the National Rushmore. Alabama's probably got three coaches that would be on the National Rushmore before him. Uh but SEC wise, yes. He made an indelible mark on the league as a player winning the Heisman, as a coach winning the conference six times in the national championship once. And he took, out, he took South Carolina to three 11-win seasons in a row, which is unheard of in Columbia. And they are going to miss Stephen Orr Spurrier in Columbia, South Carolina, even though things were not going well this year. But it's time for our first guest of the evening on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check him out at bigheadsbbq.net. And, Drew, I will let you introduce her.
1: Yeah, absolutely. Uh, we are honored tonight uh, to be joined uh, – by first time guest uh to BAMS Radio. You can read her stuff at the Austin American Statesman. Uh she is a sports writer for them covering the Texas A and M Aggies. And that is Suzanne Halliburton. Suzanne, how are you tonight?
4: I'm good. How are y'all doing?
1: Doing really well. We want to thank you. I know it's a heck one a big week for Texas A and M. We thank you for taking a few minutes uh to join us and kind of update our listeners on the Texas A and M Aggies who uh, who were having a, gr- a great year thus far, and I have to say, uh, we didn't. We, I wasn't able to speak with you at SEC Media Days, but I was one of the few uh, that I spoke with. It was high on the Aggies going into the year. I thought picking them sixth or some even seventh in the SEC West was a big mistake. I thought they had a lot of good young talent, especially the quarterback Kyle Allen, and of course Christian Kirk coming into the conference, and he's been even better than I thought. And then of course with John Chavis coming in defensively, but. It's been a pretty good start thus far, even though they had to rally past Arkansas, but a, a nice job so far for the Aggies.
4: Yeah, they're, I think, you know, but I guess nobody, I don't think a lot of people are surprised that they're 5-0. and Although maybe people, because they were favored against Arizona State, I think they've been favored in every game. But I think against Alabama, obviously against Alabama and against Ole Miss next week, people are going to really see how good Texas A&M is. Because a year ago they also started off five and zero, then had a really bad stretch in October and finished eight and five. So you just you never can tell about them.
1: Absolutely, and uh, and then I, but I, I was and then one other thing that I have uh, been impressed with thus far, and of, of course as you said, I do think Arizona State's a solid. You know, I think that was a good win. Obviously, Arkansas that game was eerily similar to the one last year. Uh, but I really liked Kyle Allen a lot. I picked him, mm-hmm. uh, and I probably was the only one that did. I picked him first team, all SEC, uh, based upon what I saw last year, the way he ended and the, the weapons around him. I think Texas A&M probably has the deepest wide receiver group in the conference. Uh, but how has Kevin Sumlin been? Uh, what is he? What is his thoughts on how Kyle has performed up to this point?
4: Well, you know, they've been pleased with his efficiency. Um, he has been – Kyler Murray, who is the true freshman, they bring him in as a change of pace quarterback. Murray, he's really fast. He's got a lot of. He looks like a smaller version of Johnny Manziel, and um, but he still doesn't have the complete grasp on the passing aspect of football yet. Um, but I think they've been pleased. I think what's going on with A and M though is that they're trying to, as I described it back in August, they try to SEC their offense that up tempo spread that they run. They put more emphasis on physical blocking and, um, you know, trying to run over teams and maul teams with their running game instead of just passing, um, you know, doing these ad-lib plays that they were so famous for the first two years in the SEC. And so I think they're kind of struggling with an identity, and I'm going to be really interested to see how they, what their identity is against Alabama.
0: Suzanne, this is Kerry Clark. I'm Drew's co-host. I write for the Scout.com Alabama site, uh, com, and we we sincerely thank you for joining us. My question is about the Aggies' defense. In watching them play their first three years in the Southeastern Conference, there seemed to this outsider to be a deficiency in tackling. Uh, They seem to miss a lot of tackles, open field tackles, all kinds of tackles. They tried to arm tackle a lot of people. Is Mm -hmm. tackling something that has improved in the first year under John, the Chief Chavis?
4: You know, I think the way the best way to describe the A&M defense this year as opposed to last year and the year before is they're playing with a lot more confidence, and they're not thinking about playing defense as much as they're just going out and playing it. And that's the best thing I can say to describe them. They just seem... There's less effort now. They are they can miss tackles, and they you know sometimes I'm wondering about the state of Texas plays so much spread. I think Cliff Kingsbury, the Texas Tech coach and former A&M offensive coordinator, estimated that 90% of the state plays this spread offense. So the defenders you get out of the state are going to be terrific pass rushers, and but they've had to tackle a lot of, of plays in space. And so then you come over to the SEC where everything is so. Compacted in and you know running plays over the middle that you know maybe they're not used to that you know I'll just throw that out there but um, they're getting better and they I think the best thing they could do is play have an have an idea of how to play defense as opposed to thinking about it.
1: And Suzanne, obviously, uh, it's been well documented that they have. You talked about them, pass rushers that their pass rush has been really good thus far. Miles Garrett building on his freshman year. He's one of the best players in the country uh, mm-hmm. coming into Texas A&M last year. Had a great freshman year, but of course had a rough afternoon as the entire Aggies team did against Cam Robinson there in Alabama's offensive line. Uh, but obviously Deshaun Hall has also rushed the passer well. What has how much has last year's game come up with A&M? I, I think this team's a lot different than the one was last year. But of course, nobody saw that coming. Uh, Many people were picking A and M to win that game, or at least have a really good shot. But how
4: Mm -hmm. much has
1: that fifty-nine to nothing game been brought up this week?
4: Oh well, I was over in College Station yesterday for their media availability, and you know we brought it up a ton. And it was brought up last week in their bye week. And it's sometimes I wonder if players are truly motivated by you know revenge. And um, but a and last year, Kenny Hill was their starting quarterback, and it came out after the fact that he had he had been out late partying, you know, before the game or two days before the game, and maybe not taking that game as seriously. You've got, you know, their running backs are different, they've changed offensive line coaches, they've changed defensive coordinators, and I just don't think it's it's anywhere resembles the team that was in Alabama last year. They had also. Alabama was their eighth straight game that they had played last year. They hadn't had the benefit of a bye week. And they had been really beaten down at the end of September with that over. They won in overtime against Arkansas, but then they played Mississippi State and All Miss and got beaten down more. And then they, you know, Alabama. And if you're not up for Alabama, you can get steamrolled 59 to nothing. And so that, I think that that was their come to Jesus kind of. Meeting and program with their program after the fact, they put up all their all their starting jobs. You know, people had to compete for them again, and um, it forced Ken Sumlin to make some changes in his coaching staff. So, I think that game, in hindsight, even though it was a horrible loss, you know, made good changes for the program.
0: Suzanne, Kristen Kirk, and Speedy Uh Noel, among others are two names that if Alabama fans don't know them yet, they will know them by 6 o'clock Saturday night at Central Time. Uh, tell us a little bit about how those two guys are doing this year as well as the receiving core as a whole for the Yankees.
4: Now, Christian Kirk has just been a star. He's not that, he's not that tall. He's compact. and But he can make plays on special teams. He can make plays at receiver. And he's just a star in the making. Speedy oil is very is an intriguing storyline because he has been injured. Coach, someone won't say what it is. I asked Jake Stavatall, their offensive coordinator, what it was, and they, this was probably three weeks ago, and they said it was a soft tissue injury. He hasn't played the last two games, and he in the second half of their first game, he was out there on the field making catches when among the reserves, and so it's it's like I have no idea. People don't know what's going on with him. I'm assuming he's going to play against Alabama. I don't know if he's healthy. Um, just a big, a big secret. Um, Ricky Seals Jones is the former top prospect in the state. One of their wide receivers. He's big. He's like six foot five, but he hasn't played with the. He's got this great physical ability, but he hasn't played like that. He hasn't played like the six foot five, two hundred thirty pound receiver. They they like him now. They said that his um blocking has gotten a lot better and that he's playing a lot better, but he got um thrown out of the game in the second half against Mississippi State because he got called for targeting. That was the last time out. Then they've got a guy named Josh Reynolds who's a junior college transfer who was recommended to Kevin Sumlin by the A and M track coach, which is the, he's the best track coach in the country. And um Josh Reynolds is great at scoring touchdowns. He's another tall lanky guy who can run. And um, when Kyle Allen gets in trouble, he's going to be looking for Josh Reynolds. He'll also be looking for Christian Kirk. But the two names that you, your fans need to look out for, Christian Kirk and Josh Reynolds. And then a lot of the other aggro receivers, they've got a ton of them. They're pretty much interchangeable. And then, But if Speedy mortal gets in, that's going to um, you know, give Kyle Allen another option. But Speedy and Christian basically play the same position, they're both return men, and they both play that same receiving spot. So I don't know if they'll both be on the field at the same time if Speedy's healthy, or how much, you know, how they'll play them.
1: Well, Suzanne, uh, they, yeah, I agree. Christian Kirk, I thought was the best wide receiver, along with Calvin Ridley, who you'll get a chance to see Saturday I'm looking uh, in forward the country. To it. I thought those were the two, the two best players at their respective positions. I thought those guys would both be instant impact, and they really have been. But kind of talk about you mentioned the new offensive line coach for A and M. Talk about their offensive line, uh, how much progress they've made with physicality. I know they they're running, the, they're they're trying to get more proficient at running the ball. And Trey Carson has had a lot of success. Uh, Sands the Arkansas game. I know he got slowed down there, but mm-hmm. uh, he seems to be the their main guy as far as running the football.
4: Yeah, see their running game is is very. Um... Intriguing to me as well. I'm going to write about that for Saturday. But Trey Carson is a big back. He's a transfer from Oregon. He's been playing for AM for three years. He's had his first 200 yard games of his career. He had a career high um, the week before Arkansas. Then he had 100 yards plus against Mississippi State. But after that, they have a former walk on who's the backup running back and a true freshman walk on who's their third stringer. There's a guy named James White who's supposed to be their second team running back, but he's been hurt. And again, someone won't say what's going on with him. Asked point blank this week, he just would not say. So I don't know if he'll be available to play on Saturday. Someone does not like to talk about injuries. I hear Nick Saban's the same way. So their um, their running game can be spotty. They didn't do very well against Arkansas at all. They were better against Arizona State in the season opener and they beat up on opponents like Nevada and Ball State. Their offensive line also, you know, because A&M has put three offensive tackles in the first round the last three years, everybody assumes that their offensive line is going to be great. I think they've had some problems with it. Um, But we'll see as um, A&M progresses through the SEC. If they've they've gotten better, they were pleased with how they played against Mississippi State.
0: I'm so glad you brought that up about the offensive line because – Drew and I are both Atlanta Falcon fans, and very thrilled oh, to have Jake, Jake play that team. Yeah. Yes, exactly. Uh, he's been a mm-hmm. great contributor, and, and and he had to step up early. But his brother Mike is with mm-hmm. the team presently. Uh, yeah. He's their starting. Talk about the job that, that he's been done for, done for them.
4: Well, centers, as you know, have to be smart, and they call out the you know the where the linebackers are, and they make all the line calls. He's been doing well. Um, it's just, you know, some of the other guys, you, you just, it's, you know, with the spread team, you're playing so quickly that a lot of times the offensive line isn't forced to make a ton of blocks. Um, but with the way that they're today in Christensen, their new offensive line coach and their running game coordinator really wants them to be more physical. And I just, it's going to be a test. They weren't that great against Arkansas, and um, Mississippi State, they were good. But Mississippi State, I think, is the seventh-best team in the SEC West. So I don't think anybody can put an official grade on them until they get through this October gauntlet when they play Alabama and they play Ole Miss, and then they'll play South Carolina, although that doesn't look like a great game. But um, it's just I'm real, I think their grade right now is incomplete.
1: And, Suzanne, obviously I know there's been a lot of talk uh, amongst everyone in your state as well about Alabama's defense. Uh, I'm Mm -hmm. sure everyone has seen Alabama play on TV. Alabama's playing at a very high level. They've been suffocating against the run. They've made teams one-dimensional. What what has been Kevin Sumlin's thoughts on what his team needs to do offensively to try to generate uh, and try to move the ball consistently against what could be the best defense in college football?
4: Well, he called them the best defense in college football yesterday. And, you know, a lot of that is hyperbole because no coach is going to give another coach, you know, bulletin board material. but they're a great defense, there's no question about that. I think if A and M goes in and tries to, you know, emphasize the run, I think they're playing into Alabama's strength and I think that would be a stupid game plan. I think that Alabama, with A and M specifically, has had problems with the up tempo and um, you know, making plays in space. And I think if A and M can come out and start, you know, getting first downs and generating the yards and scoring quickly, that that's the best way to beat Alabama. And just trying to be this balanced offense, I think they need to run just enough to keep Alabama honest. But I think that they're going to beat if they beat Alabama. It's going to be by the pass.
0: And Suzanne, last question for me: You mentioned uh, the great job when he's healthy that Speedy mm-hmm. oil does in the return game. But tell us a little bit about the actual punter and place kicker for A&M and how they're doing this year.
4: Well, Taylor Bartlett has been—he's kind of inconsistent, and um, I don't, you know. He missed a field goal that would have taken would have won the um, Arkansas game in regulation. But he's got a good leg. Their Hunter, is really good, Drew Kayser. But I don't know, you know, you don't hear a ton about him because, you know, teams don't want to talk about great offensive teams don't want to talk about their punters. But if it was a game of field position where you're trying to flip the field, he's a good punter. He's the guy you would do it with. And if you want to get down old-school defensive games where, you know, you play great defense and it's 21-14 to 14 or 21-17, to 17, he's the kind of player you would want.
1: And, Suzanne, obviously a big uh, mat, uh, matchup in, in the game and is going to be uh, Alabama's uh, offensive line, which has struggled somewhat against uh-huh. the front of Texas A&M. Obviously, uh, Jake Coker is – Uh, I think a limited quarterback, Uh, I do think if you have to grade them in the game, Kyle Allen is a better player than Jake Coker. But he's played well on the road. He played well Mm -hmm. in Texas against Wisconsin. He played very well at Georgia. The key is going to be, I guess, for A&M to, I think, load the box and try to slow down the the Alabama running game. But how do you see this A&M defense matching up against this Alabama offense with what you've seen?
4: Well, you know, it's funny because Alabama used to um, Mm – They used to have incredible luck on those bootlegs against the AM defense, you know, and I just really admired the way that they would do that play and use play action. I don't think AM has really seen that kind of a team this year, so I'm going to be interested to see how they do react. AM, as we talked about, has two great defensive ends, and their specialty is rushing the pass. Their linebackers have been iffy. I don't know how good their interior defensive linemen are going to be, and it's probably going to be hot. And so yeah. A&M's going to have to rotate a lot of players in. And I'm just not sure about the depth. They've got a kid named Daylon Mack, who was one of the best defensive prospects in the country this year. Um, he's a wow. huge defensive tackle. But he's been real up and down, as many freshmen would be. But I think that, I think, like I said, their interior and their linebackers, Alabama can expose them, and I think that, that that's probably what they're going to try to do and use a lot of play action against A&M against Arkansas. They had they had some real problems with Arkansas's run game and with their play action passes, but Arkansas has a way, at least against A&M, of shooting themselves in the foot. So I guess it wasn't that surprising that A&M came back from eight points down real late in the game to win that thing in overtime but they I don't think they have not played a team like Alabama with a good offensive line, a good running game and a quarterback that can you, you know complete the play action pass and be smart. So to me it looks like a typical Alabama team.
1: Yeah, uh, that's a great point. It's going have they're going to have to play well though to win in a hostile environment in Aggieland. Mm-hmm. it'll be interesting to see how the A&M defense especially the secondary holds up and with the play action with Calvin Ridley and if we've seen our Darius Stewart turned the corner. Not sure yet. And of course, Richard Mullaney, the transfer from Morgan State. But Suzanne, we really appreciate the time. We know it's been a busy week for you, and you're going to be all over covering uh, the uh, the game in Maguland. In Land. Uh, my uh, co- co- colleague Steve Moulton from our radio, my radio station 97.7 The Zone will also be there. And BAM Magazine will likely have one someone there as well. And we thank you for joining us. And uh, we look forward to talking with you down the road. Should be a great game in college football. Oh, yeah. And uh, and have a great rest of your night.
4: Thank you. I'm looking forward to covering a game that's not 59 to nothing.
1: <laughs> Absolutely. That's Suzanne Halliburton. Everyone, we're going to go on a quick break here uh, on uh, on uh, on BAM's radio, and we'll be back in just a few minutes.
3: SeatGeek is an iOS or Android app, which you can use to find tickets to Alabama games. With multiple big games looming, SeatGeek is the place to go for deals for any game that picks your interest. SeatGeek aggregates tickets from every major ticket site online and puts them all in one place to make comparison shopping for tickets easy. When you're ready to buy tickets, snag a deal on your phone with just two taps on your app. There really is no better way to find Alabama football tickets. It finds these tickets with a technology called deal Score. The deal score calculates what every ticket in the building is worth, and whether that's a good deal or a bad deal. Like we always say here on Two Deep
2: Zone, if it's green, it's good,
3: and if it's red, it's dead.
2: Use promo code BAMA to get a $20 rebate off your first purchase. To redeem this promo code, download
3: the free SeatGeek app on your iOS or Android device and enter promo code BAMA in the app. SeatGeek will then send you $20 once you have made your purchase. Be sure to download the free SeatGeek app and enter promo code Bama today. The SeatGeek app is your ticket to Alabama football.
0: We are back on BAM's radio. It's currently 34 minutes after the hour and 26 before the next hour. And, you know, I think Thomas was trying to set me up with that commercial because uh, he played a commercial about SeatGeek kind of trying to – I think what he's trying to say is that our next guest is kind of a geek, but I don't really think that. Uh, I want to go ahead and bring on a good friend of mine, a man that I thoroughly enjoyed sitting and watching the Auburn LSU game with at the BAM's radio tent where we had some good barbecue from Big Heads Barbecue. You can check them out on the web at bigheadsbbq.net, and he's calling in on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. He's also with Touchdown Alabama Magazine. Good evening, Mr. Stephen M. Smith.
5: Drew, you're too kind, man. You're, you're way too kind.
0: He said that was Kerry.
5: Ah! How you guys doing? Blessed. That's great. That, that, that is fantastic. I know a uh, huge, very huge game uh, this week. And, uh, at practice today, Got a chance to see Ronnie Harrison, the uh, true freshman of Tallahassee, Florida, was used in the uh, first-team dime package today playing position. I mean, uh, just got a chance to see him out there working with the first-team group along with uh, Eddie Jackson, Geno Smith, Cyrus Jones, and Marlon Humphrey, and Ronnie Harrison looks very much so in sync out there running that first-team dime defense. But uh, Alabama using redshirt freshman David Cornwell to kind of simulate or represent Cal Allen as that, not to say scrambled or run but sort of that extender of a pocket pass or Alabama using David Cornwell to kind of represent Cal Allen today.
0: Steven, were you at the uh, Nick Slavin press conference tonight or just practice?
5: I was at the practice, although although I did get a chance to stream i out the press conference. He did talk about uh freshman quarterback Blake Barnett. Uh the illness is nothing too severe. He will miss a couple of more days of practice, but Blake Barnett the Prize recruiting California native checked out of the hospital this morning. He is he is okay. The illness is not severe.
1: Stephen M, I wanna get your thoughts. Obviously you were covering the game, I'm sure last year, the fifty nine to nothing. Beat down by Alabama. A lot of people have brought that up uh, about the Crimson Tide and how they match up with this A and M team. This A and M team's a lot different, though. We just talked to Suzanne Halliburton of the Austin American Statesman, uh, and uh, this team, I think, is going to be still motivated somewhat by that game, though it was a different situation. But I do think this Alabama defense is even better than the one last year. They shut the Aggies down. Uh, I do think the Aggies are going to be though the most potent offense Alabama has faced to this point. Uh, but I agree with Suzanne. I think they're going to basically pass to set up the run. It will be the biggest challenge for this uh, Alabama secondary you got to observe today. Uh, but I do think uh, this group as a whole is getting better every week. But we're going to really find out how good Alabama secondary is after tonight, or excuse me, after Saturday night, uh, or in, really Saturday afternoon in College Station. But I'm anxious to see uh, what kind of pass rush this uh, Alabama front. I really it was enjo- enjoyed uh, watching Rashawn Evans and Tim Williams go to work last week uh, against Arkansas. Uh, and I think they can have some more success against the Aggies, who I'm not sure yet are physical enough in this league. But I've been circling this game since the summer. It's going to be a fascinating matchup.
5: It's going to be a very fascinating matchup. I go back to the 59 to nothing Alabama win last year. Texas A&M's offensive coordinator, Jake Spavadol, coming into the week, on numerous accounts, said that the uh, competition between Kenny Hill and Kyle Allen was even, decided to go with the more experienced Kenny Hill at that point of sophomore, did not pan out as well as Spavitar would have hoped for. But Alabama, this this time around, I think this secondary, Mel Tucker has really put his imprint on this back five. I go back to last year. Through 14 games, Alabama only had 11 interceptions for 84 yards. This season, through six, it already has eight interceptions for about 150 or so yards with a touchdown. And of those eight picks, three of them have come from freshmen, getting these guys in position, but also showing the patience to work with guys like Ronnie Harris and Minka Fitzpatrick and Marlon Humphrey. Going back to 2013, the game that featured Johnny Manziel and A.J. McCarron at Cal Field. It was the first taste of action for Cyrus Jones at that point in sophomore. When Cyrus Jones came in as a freshman in 2012, he came in as a slot receiver. He was switched over to defense in the summer of 2013, and his first start, though it was against Tennessee, his first real game on the road action came against Texas A&M. He had to come in for an injured Deion Blue, and actually did a pretty good job. Total four tackles and an interception in the first half, picking off Johnny Manziel in the red zone. Got a chance to talk with Cyrus earlier in the week, and Cyrus told the media that that was the game in 2013, in which he saw himself grow up a little bit. So this this Alabama secondary is going to have to body up, put a man on a man, and really face the football as in the air. But this defensive front, Drew, as you mentioned, and Kerry and the rest of the gang, also Thomas, you guys talked about the pass rush of Alabama. I think it's not just Tim Williams and Rashawn Evans, though those two are important. I'm looking at Jonathan Allen, Jaron Reed, Dalvin Thomas, and even some of Denzel Duvall, just getting back there, creating that leverage, and harassing Cal This group does a great job of batting balls down. But Kyle Allen's only been sacked 13 times through six games. So it's going to come down to creating that leverage, bull rushing inside, ripping inside, and finding some way to bring Cal Allen to the ground. They did a good job getting to Brandon Allen last week, but Coach Saban did mention in the post-game conference that Brandon Allen was able to break containment at times and beat him with the scramble pass and picking up yards from his feet. So... Alabama's been getting back there and has to finish the job.
0: Well, Stephen, I guess we'll let you turn the tables a little bit. Uh, Do you have any questions for Drew or Thomas or I?
5: I I think the one question this week for me has has literally been going to, to... Chris Black came in so highly talented. He came in... As the guy that was more talked about than Amari Cooper, though both guys came from Florida. And it just seems like Chris Black has fallen off. You don't hear much about him. I understand he's supplying more of that leadership role, talking to the guys and being an example off the field. But on the field, you haven't seen the full Chris Black as the game or as that dynamic receiver come out. Why has that been?
1: Well, Stephen M, I can tell you. When you don't practice as hard as you should, when you are uh, do not block well, uh, when you you know when when Richard Mullaney, who's a, a real a good football player and in my opinion a future pro, but was not a five star recruit, when when Richard Mullaney comes in in May and takes your job when you've been on the team, this is your fourth year in the program, starting in the slot, and he takes your job, you know, recruiting's over now. Uh, You know, five stars is a long time ago. Uh, Black obviously was a little bit banged up in fall camp, but since he's come back, he he, he only plays during garbage time. I'm telling you right now, it's just the bottom line is, Chris Black hasn't been good enough to play on this team. There's no injury now. Uh, He's, you know... Darius Stewart's had his own issues, uh, but he's at least made some plays. Uh, Chris Black, he's not been targeted much this year. And quite frankly, I just think he's lacked toughness. And, I mean, you have to be a tough football player to play for Nick Saban. You have to block. uh, You have to run your routes correctly. And you've got to catch the ball. He's had the uh, the limited opportunities he's had – we all saw Chris Black has also dropped the football. The coaches have lost confidence in the young man. It's sad. He's a good kid from, you know, the people that I talk to. Uh, But, again, he just has not produced at the level he needed to. This is a golden opportunity for him. Uh, and, And, obviously, with the injury to Robert Foster, it's even more damning that he's not playing. But the bottom line is Chris Black has not produced, and I would not be shocked if he spends his fifth year at another program after he graduates. He's going to get his degree. Uh, he's done a- the job in the classroom. But r- for right now, quite frankly, he has not lived up to the billing. Uh, injuries have played uh, some part of that, but right now that's not what's going on. He just hasn't stepped up, period.
0: And, Steven I agree with Drew. I, I-, I will actually be surprised if Chris is still on the roster in January, particularly with the receiver caliber they're recruiting in the current class Everybody they recruitment has the ability to come in and push for playing time. And when you've been there four years and all you can do is get out there and drop balls and kind of put your foot on blocks and all that, I fully expect him to be at another program in January.
5: The next one would be uh, do we finally see a reunion with O.J. Howard in the end zone? Because he, he has not smelled the painted grass since 2013 in a 52-yard catch from A.J. McCarron against LSU. So do we finally see a reunion, a much-needed reunion, not just for Alabama, but for the confidence and the mental psyche of O.J. Howard? Does he finally see the pain in grass this week?
1: Well, O.J. Howard, uh, Stephen M., quite frankly, you know he, he got off to a better start this year. He's done somewhat uh, – he's done a little bit better job blocking. He has improved uh, to a degree. I still think he's deficient there. But as a receiver, he's got to help out the quarterback. And I think if you want a reunion in the end zone, get tougher and make a catch in the end zone. Because I don't think he runs good enough routes and is strong enough in the end zone. And Because, uh, you know, Jake Coker may have thrown him in the back of the end zone uh, just this past Saturday against Arkansas, quite frankly. He doesn't go up and high point the ball. He doesn't box people out. He's six foot six, two hundred 255 pounds. He needs to be able to box someone out, go up and grab the football in traffic. I know the defender was on him, but you in other words it's called if you're a playmaker, make a play. He's made some plays in between the 20s, but he has not made any plays in the end zone. That's more in my opinion on O.J. Howard than it is on the quarterbacks. He's got he's another guy. He's still not playing up to his complete potential. He needs to step up. He had a big game in Aggieland as a freshman two years ago. He needs to have another one on Saturday, quite frankly.
0: And another thing with OJ, uh, you know, he has become more of a target this year, Stephen. Uh, I believe he had 14 catches as a freshman and 17 last year. And I think with the season half over, if I'm not mistaken, he already has 16 this year. So this is going to be his best year, and he has improved his blocking. I read a quote from an NFL scout that, that said he's become a serviceable blocker, and, and he intends to be, I think, I don't know, he may be disappointed when he gets his grade back, but he intends to be gone after this year. So he's going to need to shine a little more in the final six games than he has the first six games. But I will give the young man credit. He is a better blocker. Uh, Murph Baldwin, Thomas's partner, uh, on Two the Zone podcast, uh, went through about 13 or 14 hours of tape to find three good blocks that O.J. made last year, just to argue a point. And he found those three good blocks. But this year, he's been a little more consistent. Uh, and his hands are, are pretty good. But I think the problem, Stephen, that the fans and the scouts both see, there was a play against Arkansas this past weekend uh, in the first half where he ran a route and was somewhat open, there was a guy within a few feet of him, but not, you know, completely covering him up. And he just—he alligator armed the place, even. And if you're six six two forty two, you got to use all of your long arms to reel in every ball that's within four feet around you in her circumference. And right now, he's just not fighting for the ball like he ought to be. He played basketball in high school. He knows about boxing out and rebounding. But at the same time, he played, I believe, one A ball. And uh, now he's third year in the SEC, and he's still not showing the aggression that – and I think his coach, Bobby Williams, would tell you the same thing. I think, Stephen, he's just not showing the aggressiveness and, and, and the want of, of that every ball should belong to him. He's got to develop that mentality, Stephen.
1: Well, and I will – let me add something with Kerry. Kerry. He played less than one A ball. He played Alabama Independent School Association athletics, which I mean that may be part of the reason that it's taken longer for him to come along. Uh, he he was a, a big fish in the smallest pond possible, and you know, and I think that 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 has hurt him some. Uh, and quite frankly, uh, we've all had this debate about the tight end development and coaching of Bobby Williams as well. Uh, so I I just think and there's a lot of factors going into it, but the bottom line is he's just got to get tougher. Uh, Todd McShay ranked him today the the fourth-best tight end available for the NFL draft. I'm not sure I agree with that. I think he's a four-year guy. I don't think there's any way he needs to be leaving early. He needs just to continue to get tougher. And to be honest, uh, Jake Coker is a limited quarterback, and uh, you need to help him out. And I think in Jake, in his defense, he has had several drops this year, though O.J. has cut down on those as well. But just as far as the touchdowns in the red area, That's the area that I think he still needs to improve. I just don't think he's become physical enough or the matchup nightmare that he needs to be for this Alabama team to have a chance to uh, go to the college football playoff. He's going to have to come along in that area the rest of this season, no question about it.
5: Well, guys, I appreciate uh, being able to call the show and chime in with you guys, and thank you so much for answering my two questions.
1: Absolutely, Stephen M., we enjoyed the conversation. Thank you for calling BAM's radio tonight.
0: Appreciate you, brother. And uh, this probably be a good time to bring up something since I've talked about uh, watching the ball game with Stephen at the last BAMS tailgate. The, basically, the, the, the true tailgate is only going to be for SEC games anyway. And when I say true tailgate, I mean the presence of Big Heads Barbecue. Check them out at bigheadsbbq.net for all your catering needs, small group, church group, civic group, uh, sports team, whatever you got. Chuck Peake is the man, and go to that website, that net, and check it out. But Chuck has come up with a wonderful idea, and uh, I want to t- say that I'm fully in support of this. We don't know yet the kickoff time of the Tennessee game in Tuscaloosa. Our theory is that if Alabama wins Saturday, the game will be 2.30 CBS, and if Alabama loses Saturday, they'll probably be 6 on ESPN. Regardless of when the kickoff is, uh, the barbecue that – Chuck Peak and Big Heads Barbecue is providing at the BAM's radio tent for the Tennessee game, there is going to be a charge for the plate that day. And this is not customary. Normally you're just told to bring something. But on this day, there will be a fee for the plate, and we'll have Chuck call in next week and give you the exact amount that you'll need to bring. But the reason that there's a fee that day is that the proceeds are going to be donated 100% to carry Goode and his fight with MLS. And this is something that Chuck wants to do, and BAMS is behind it. I know Bird is behind it. Uh, Drew and Thomas and I are behind it. And we want to invite as many people as possible to come by the BAMS radio tent. Obviously, we don't know yet when the kickoff is, but it is going to be a fundraiser that day with all proceeds from barbecue sales of big heads that day at the tent going to Kerry Goode and his family to pay for his fight against MLS. And I certainly wanted to get that out there before I forgot about it. I know Chuck wanted me to mention it. And uh, Chuck plans to call the show next week, Chuck Peak, owner of Big Head's Barbecue, and go on uh, you know, a little more detail about what the contribution will be and that kind of thing. But uh, I can tell you it's some great barbecue, and it's certainly a great cause. And uh, our thoughts and prayers definitely go out to uh, Kerry Good and his family. So I wanted to get that out there.
1: And I want to also announce something that – uh, we've come up with – last night I spoke at the North Alabama Tide Fans Group. I know Kerry has been to Greenbrier to hear uh, speakers and uh, be a part of that group. But on December the uh, 8th, I think it is around there, uh, we are going to – the first Thursday in December, I think it will be. Uh, but I will, I'll I'll double-check on the date. But it's when, I think it is actually December the 8th. So December the 8th, we are going to have – uh, yeah, we are lined up. Kerry Good as a speaker. Uh, he is coming to speak to the North Alabama Tide Fans Group. We are going to charge about twenty to forty dollars a head. We hope to have at least a hundred people show up, and we are going to donate all the proceeds uh, to Kerry Goode and his foundation to fight uh, MLS, no doubt about that. Or excuse me, ALS. Excuse me, uh, ALS. And we uh, we are going to be honored. His wife is going to bring him from Atlanta, but we are going to be honored to have him speak. to The North Alabama Tide fans group, and during, we we all are thinking of him in his battle. Uh, obviously with a l s we're gonna donate all the proceeds that night, and it'll be twenty to forty dollars a head per person uh, to to Goode good and his cause and uh, we look forward to hearing him uh before christmas in december and uh, we uh, just to confirm that last night and just wanted to i'll announce that a few times but just wanted to put that out on bans for the listeners
0: okay well that's great uh so we are continuing to uh, effort to uh help out our crimson brother and i really I'm very glad to hear that, that Steve and uh, Mike and you and all the good folks, and Freddie, all the good folks in charge up there, I'm going to make an effort to get to that if at all possible. Uh, definitely. Uh, Kerry was one of my favorite Alabama players. And, uh, oh, wow. You know, I can still remember being in Legion Field, Drew, in 1984 to open the season against Boston College, and Kerry Good was looking like the Heisman Trophy winner. Uh, running back kickoff for a touchdown, rushing touchdowns, catching passes. And Alabama had a good lead on Boston College until Kerry got hurt, hurt his knee, Mm -hmm. was out for the year. And when he returned, he had lost some of his speed, so they put him at fullback. And that was not even in 84, that was in 85 when he came back. Mm
6: -hmm. And
0: I mean to tell you, and he had had a great freshman year. Uh, There was a comeback win up at uh, State, uh, actually a comeback that fell short of a win Uh, his freshman year. 1983, up in State College. Uh, it was his sophomore year, 84, when he got hurt. But Kerry was part of a comeback up at Penn State where a very controversial call went against Alabama on a pass that Preston Gothard apparently had caught in the end zone, but the refs ruled that he didn't have control when he went out of bounds, and so that touchdown was not counted, and Alabama lost. They had been down like four touchdowns, and that touchdown would have given them the lead and kicked the extra point and win the game, but it was waved off, and... But Kerry had a great game in that game as a true freshman. And then he was killing Boston College his sophomore year first game when he got hurt. But just one of the funnest guys to to watch play that uh, that ever came through the university. And when he came back, they, they put him at fullback because he had lost some of his speed, naturally, after having tore his knee up. You know, knee uh, rehab and surgery and all that wasn't at the point in 1984 that it is today. Uh, chances are he could have made a better recovery today. Very good chances. But, I'm extremely glad to hear that, that those uh, events are going on, uh, the one in Tuscaloosa and the one in Huntsville. And I'm sure there'll be other things that come up to help carrying and his family out, and uh, we'll certainly announce those as we get the information. So uh, I'll tell you something else, Drew. Uh, we don't, oh, I'm sorry. We have a, ch- a question from the chat room, and I'll let Drew answer it, but I'll ask it. Is Hale Hinkett just improving, or have Ty Smith and uh, Dakota Ball just fallen off?
1: I'd say both. I think L. Hinges is an excellent prospect. Caught his first pass for five yards this past week. And I think basically Ty Fornoy-Smith has not been what they thought he was. Uh, When Lane Kiffin chose him from junior college, he uh, has not uh, been the physical player or the receiver they thought he was going to be. Uh, Quite frankly, he's been a bust. Uh, Dakota Ball, who uh, had, had a good spring and early in the fall in fall camp, look like he might turn the corner, has reverted and is uh not has not done the job either, and so Hale Hinges has basically beat him out and Brandon Green has moved uh back from now from fifty eight to eighty nine and is basically uh your second tight end. Hell Hinges is your third. Uh Dakota ball has had a golden opportunity, not doing the job as a fourth year junior. You can call him Chris Bra- Chris Black's other brother, uh is the best way to put that. Uh, Dakota Ball not, has not uh, been what they thought he was going to be, and Ty Fornoy-Smith, quite frankly, should never have been signed.
0: Very well put. Now, Drew, before we take our top-of-the-hour break, I want to ask you two questions. They have nothing to do with each other. One's football and one's basketball. We'll start with football. I've had a lot of queries on Twitter and text, and I know you have too. Uh, how much can you say without breaking any confidence about the uh, physical condition of Blake Barnett?
1: He was released today or was set to be released from the hospital. He should be fine. Can't release many details. All I can say is that he had a low blood count and uh they are going to run more tests tomorrow. Uh, they expect him to be back in about a week or so uh from to practice, but again, uh they, I believe that they've uh, they've got everything under control now. You know, our prayers are with uh Blake Barnett. Uh it was a, you know, I think it was a scary kind of situation, but again, can't release too many details, but I can say that he will be fine.
0: Now the second question is is uh, more positive. Uh there's been a lot of talk in the last couple of weeks about what Alabama basketball and Avery Johnson specifically's chances are with Texas big man Marcus Bolden. Now Bolden has canceled return trips to Duke and Kentucky. Uh he has a tentative scheduled trip the 23rd Tennessee weekend to Oklahoma. I'm not sure he's going to make that trip. But here's why I'm asking you the question. Uh, Tonight on both internet message boards and on the social media of uh, Avery Johnson Jr., there seems to be something very positive going on regarding Alabama basketball recruiting. I'm just wondering, could that be Marcus Bolden or even Braxton Key, but although Bolden is the one that I think Avery Jr. is closer friends with?
1: All I'd say is buckle up.
0: If, well, well, that sounds positive. Uh, you know,
1: well, uh, how, what
0: confidence I, level are you buckling?
1: Well, I just believe after what I saw today with Ken, in uh, Kentucky, and I know I had someone hit me up on Twitter, uh, Corey Clements, talking about Kansas. But I believe if Marcus Bulbin, and this is what I said, if he shows up in Tuscaloosa with Terrence Ferguson on. The 24th, uh, when they play when Alabama plays Tennessee, and I do think there's a better than 50% chance that's happening. Maybe 70%, in my opinion, it's a gut feeling. Then look out, and that's all I'm gonna say. I, you know, he did not commit to Duke when he went on the visit. He's visited Kentucky and has not committed. I think there's been a lot of things done behind the scenes, and I think you know, with Terrence Ferguson being heavily involved, Scott Pospickle avery johnson avery johnson jr now if he doesn't show up for the visit the chances go down dramatically it's probably not going to happen but if marcus Bolden shows up for an official visit to the university of alabama i'll just go ahead and say it he will sign with alabama
0: very good you heard it here first on bam's radio i know everyone was wondering about that it follows bama basketball and we'll talk a little bit more about bama basketball in hour two they held an open practice, well, open for Tide Pride and uh, Boosters and such yesterday, and got some couple of interesting emails about that. Uh, but for now, it is time for another break. Uh, this one will be three to four minutes. We're going to give Thomas time to uh, not only play music, but play a, a very important spot for you guys. So we'll be back in three or four minutes. But for now, you're listening to Bama's Radio, a member of the Bama Sports Radio family.
6: backwoods, Tennessee byway, one arm on the wheel, holding my lover with the other, a sweet, soft, southern thrill, worked hard all week, got a little jingle, on a Tennessee Saturday night. Couldn't feel better. I'm together with my Dixie Land tonight. Spend my dollar, park in a holler. on clover red-tailed hawk sitting on a limb chubby old brown hawk broken bullfrog free as a feeling in the wind homegrown country girl gonna give me a whirl on a Tennessee Saturday night lucky as a seven Living in heaven with my takes sea spend my dollars Park in a high-
3: Back for a little more bands radio, they let me out of my cage. So the other guys are just getting back, and uh, but we'll be joined by John Garcia here in the next few minutes. But until then, I'm going to talk about the Texas a Aggies because go for it. <laughs> um, big thing about Texas A&M is that the Texas A&M defense is quite simply a bad matchup. Like they are. Alabama's offense is a good matchup for Alabama, bad matchup for A&M. They give up 4.6, 4.7, some some more than 4.5 number of yards per carry and 183 yards a game rushing. You're not going to beat this Alabama team if Alabama can start running on you. Because they'll just grind them. They'll grind. Alabama will grind you down, and then they'll crack you for a big play-action pass. So, bad, bad matchup there for the A&M defense. Now, at the same time, the A&M offense is something that the Alabama defense has historically struggled with. Kyle Allen is an athlete. He is not what you would call a traditional dual-threat quarterback. In that he'll, you know, what throw the ball. 30 times and run it 15 he's got i think i I, when i looked this up and i'm going off memory it was 40 rushing attempts through five games so he'll do enough to keep you honest but he almost certainly won't beat you with his feet the terror for him is that he is probably the best passing quarterback in the sec you know you can certainly argue that he's the best quarterback period but i'm not interested in making that argument take a great passing quarterback and you give him a plethora of weapons. You know, Speedy Noel has been pushed to the side for r- freshman phenom Christian Kirk, Josh Reynolds is the safety blanket, uh, Ricky Seals-Jones is the freak show that can't seem to get out of his own way, and he, like Ricky Seals-Jones, one of the best recruits for his cycle, is just another guy for the Texas Maggies. And so what's that mean for the Alabama defense? It means that a young secondary that pretty much uniformly has been lauded as continuing to mature and continuing to grow in their various roles is going to have its stiffest test to date. I know that Chad Kelly threw all all over Alabama, but this is a different animal. I would say that the A&M passing offense at this point is better. And if only because A&M can run the ball some, which will force Alabama to not just drop eight and rush three in a bull rush technique, which Alabama could have done otherwise. But I still think that because Alabama does exactly what A&M's defense has struggled with, which is run the ball, it's, it's advantage Alabama. If you want to go back and look at a blueprint for what to expect the Tide to do, look at what Arkansas was able to do to the Texas and Maggie. Yes, Kyle Allen went off to the tune of, like, 350-plus passing yards, but they only had 65 yards on the ground. And Alabama's going to want to do something similar. Looking at that game, if you watched it, uh, A&M had a lot of trouble maintaining any kind of possession. Arkansas ended up winning time of possession by 10 minutes. They had 40 minutes of the hold of the ball for 40 minutes. That's That's a recipe for success that Alabama can duplicate. If if you want to continue with the transitive property of football, which is dangerous, Alabama can do everything that Arkansas did to Texas A&M. But if you take Alabama's starting too deep and you put pure talent and you compare them that way, Alabama's got more. So if Alabama's able to do what Arkansas did to Texas A&M, both offensively and defensively, Alabama should win the game. I personally... Have Alabama winning a nail biter, thirty five thirty one, but you know it, it's going to be a wild game. But if Alabama can establish the run, Derrick Henry will do just enough for Alabama to come out with what is a huge road win. I, I don't, re- I don't understand how Alabama's the line on the game has continued to trend towards Alabama, and that just blows my mind. But anyway, guys, well, I'll tell you why uh,
0: Alabama has played better away from home this year, Thomas. That's true. The two best games Alabama has played this year are Wisconsin and Georgia, correct?
3: That is correct.
0: Okay. So I think that's the thinking there. And uh, also uh, some of the injuries that Suzanne kind of touched on with A&M are, are being kind of played close to the vest. And maybe not every single weapon is going to be available for their arsenal on Saturday. Maybe not. Well, well, we'll,
1: well, I'll say this, too. I don't think a and M. i A&M – I'm not convinced yet how physical they are. Uh, I do think, you know, they're – They're more physical than they have been. And then their schedule, Suzanne kind of talked about that. Arizona State's a pretty good football team. But let's not forget, they got the hell beat out of them at home by Southern Cal, who had a dysfunctional drunk coaching them.
3: The problem with the Arizona State game for Texas A&M is that Arizona State was starting two new tackles against those freak show pass rushers. And Arizona State's a passing team. So when I saw that game, it looked great on the surface. But then as you keep looking, it's like, a and should have crushed these guys because they were going to get sacks. But anyway, Drew, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, absolutely. That's a good point,
1: Thomas. And, and then Arkansas, you know, they had a lot of trouble with Arkansas. Of course, so did Alabama. But I do think that Alabama's defense is on another level than the Hogs. I think that was proven on Saturday because I don't think Alabama was as sharp as they could have been, and yet the defense continued to suffocate. So, you know, I've said it before and I'll say it again. If Alabama – can avoid the turnovers and win the turnover battle. The only way A&M wins this game is turnovers. If Jake Coker protects the ball, if Derrick Henry protects the ball, Alabama's going to win this game because Alabama's the better team, period. And I just I've got Alabama 31, Texas A&M 21, and I think they'll find a way. But if this team plays at the level that they've played on the road the first two times as far as it on a neutral field and then at Georgia, but if they just protect the football – and don't beat themselves, they're going to win the game.
0: Okay. And for the record, I've got thirty-eight twenty-eight Bama. But we've got our next uh, guest on hold now. We're going to go ahead and bring him live on the Big Heads Barbecue Hotline. Check him out on the web at net. My friend and yours, a great friend of the show, my coworker at scout.com and bamamag.com, uh, welcome to Bama's radio, John Garcia.
6: Terry, always good to
7: be on with you guys. How you doing?
0: Talk about John. And I guess we'll start off with uh, – the newest commitment, albeit class of 17. Uh, tell us about uh, about uh, a man that our fans are lovingly calling, Jake Fromm State Farm. <laughs>
7: yeah, that was one of the first things I got after Jake Fromm, the Georgia quarterback, committed to Alabama uh, on Saturday. The, the most important thing here is that he's sort of these one of these new-age quarterbacks. And what I mean by that is it's a kid who is – developed fairly early. He's been able to assimilate to the newer style of football very early in his high school career, meaning that he's played in this up-tempo, spread, dual-threat type of offense that, you know, Blake Barnett was able to play in. He's played in that since he was a high school freshman. And there's some big-time football there in middle South Georgia where he's from, the Warner Robins area. So I think that's the most important thing for Alabama fans to keep in mind. And then you think of, well, he's got another year and a half to go uh obviously his development can be further before he ever gets to Tuscaloosa. So in terms of a kid who's who's ready to play, there's not gonna be many that are further along than a guy like Jake from in terms of experience and this, this new culture of football. So I think that's the best thing for Bama fans to consider now and and obviously Alabama taking a commitment before the summer, uh which wasn't the plan as of a couple of weeks ago, obviously Jake Fromm was the guy that felt so comfortable, sort of altering things with. So again, it's just another indication of how high the staff is on this kid. So obviously, a big get. The quarterback is always the centerpiece of your class. He's always the leader. Jake plans to do that day one. He's probably already started doing that, and he obviously gets a head start before guys like Blake Barnett and Jalen Hurts uh, were able to do in the last two cycles.
1: And John, uh it's always good talking with you again. And you know, I was a little bit surprised that they took from this early, but I was watching film of him the other day, and it, to me it looks like he has supreme arm strength. Uh, he's someone that's got good size. I mean, he's not six four, but he's thick, well put together, a pretty good athlete, uh, was a great baseball player, uh, and probably and still is, really. He played in the Little League World Series. He seems to like the big stages. Uh, but just kind of talk about – Uh, You know where he fits in as far as what what I know. It's hard to compare guys, but people do it all the time. You've watched a lot of film. Uh, Just kind of tell the listeners what kind of style quarterback this kid is.
7: Yeah, new age style guy. You know he can run the spread. He he doesn't rely on his legs, but he can move enough. Sort of like a Blake Barnett again. He's the guy that I see some similarities with, but probably more polished as a passer. You mentioned the baseball background. That is. Seemingly always a natural fit at the quarterback position and the big the whole thing there. You know, moxie and tangibles, this kid checks all of those boxes. Very smart, 4.0 GPA. I mean, he checks a lot of boxes that you can see and a lot of them that you cannot see. Um, but on to, as you mentioned, his arm is the first thing that stands out. He can make all the throws. There's one throw in particular where he rolls to the right, and he's almost all the way um, past the, or near the numbers, and he throws it almost all the way across his body. And obviously you don't want to see him doing that in general, but the fact that he can even make a throw in that capacity, albeit at the high school level, tells you what kind of pure arm strength this kid has. He has very good uh, anticipation skills with his receivers, often throws the ball before these guys make the cut. Like I said, he's polished. He's experienced. This is a kid who's, you know, he's, he's 16, 17 years old, but he plays right now like he's a few years older than that. And, again, he still has another year and a half to develop. So it's not as sexy of a commitment because it's not a senior or an offensive tackle like Kerry's about to ask me about, but it's a guy who can be the foundation and, and really the centerpiece of your class going forward and, and maybe a guy who could start for you, you know, after the Blake Barnett era seemingly runs out. Uh,
0: actually, funny man, I was going to ask you about a defensive end. Um Wow. At that position. The Jack linebacker slash defensive end and how things may not be over yet for uh, a certain young man from Greenville, Alabama.
7: Well, yeah. You know, Marlon Davidson, there was, no, no matter what was going on publicly or privately, really, with his recruitment despite the commitment to Auburn. There was no way Alabama or or really any of the schools on his list, LSU, Georgia, Florida State, there was no way any of these guys were going to truly slow all the way down for him. This is 2015, and he was a guy that has always indicated, hey, I'm going to commit to school A, but after I commit, I'm still taking on my visits. So there's still plenty of movement expected with Marlon. I know a lot of people made a a big deal about him wearing Bama gear, and that's really not where any of this comes from. He's always done that. He showed up to – a camp in Atlanta wearing probably the same exact outfit. So it doesn't stem from that in terms of the Bama interest. It just stems from the need, and it stems from the connections that he could have to Alabama's 2016 class. Well-documented several months ago the potential package deal with not only Mack Wilson, who he played with at Carver High School last year, but Ben Davis, who's the number one player in the state of Alabama. These three have been considered one, two, three in some way, shape, or form really for the last two years. So they have been able to go to all the elite events together. They're all Under Armour All-Americans. They're all going to be on these same official visits, although to my knowledge none of them have an official visit scheduled beyond Ben Davis seeing Georgia this week and LSU uh, the second week of November. You expect those guys all to eventually take that official to Alabama, and if they do, expect them to take it together. So that stuff becomes a big factor. If Bama uh, lands one, they got a good chance to land two and possibly all three, and the news is – particularly relevant today with a guy like Khalid Karim decommitting. This is not a surprise to, to us or to the Alabama coaching staff. You know, this was a guy who I thought was an interesting take for Alabama uh, in June when they took him because he's a big defensive end from Michigan, never really played in space, yet the projection was Jack linebacker. So from that moment I was kinda of like, hold on. This is a kid to keep an eye on, you know, his senior year to see if he progresses, if he shows that he maybe can be a Jack linebacker. I'm not sure we saw that, and that's not a knock against him. He's a very, very good, disruptive, strong side defensive end, but that's not where the position projection initially was established. So I think that creates movement for Alabama, and it's really created a a defensive end and outside linebacker slash Jack board that is becoming pretty clear, which is something we can't say at wide receiver running back beyond BJ Emmons and some of these other positions. I think the defensive end, outside linebacker, Jack Board, there's probably six guys that are firmly on that list. And Marlon Davidson is one of these rare guys. Him and probably Jeff Simmons are the only two who can be either defensive ends or Jack linebackers, much like Bama thought Khaled Kareem could be. So, again, so the need is big. He's an in-state guy. He's got the Bama connections. These are the reasons why Marlon Davidson will, will pretty much always be a factor uh, for Alabama because the Tide really wants him and thinks he can and do some big things at Alabama. And he said it the other day, Davidson said, I think he was 75% committed to Auburn. So he probably still ends up there, but not without a big push from Alabama.
1: And, John, uh, obviously, uh, yeah, they, I do think – Khalid Kareem was not a surprise to me. I mean, he's been flirting with Notre Dame, Michigan, Michigan State. He'll end up probably at one of those three schools – uh, as you said, Alabama's got quite a few guys they're recruiting at the defensive end and Jack Linebacker. But talk about, obviously, uh, Lindell Mack Wilson. A lot of people are worried about the Florida Gators, and he's got them number one right now. He, as you guys reported on Scout, he was wearing Florida Gator gloves last Friday. He's an in state yep, guy. at Alabama. Yes, absolutely. They need him. He's in a need position. So, what about him, and obviously. I think they still feel good about Ben Davis. I still think Mack ends up at Alabama, but just give your take on the situation.
7: Yeah, I think Mack is becoming the most interesting one of the three. I think when I initially looked at the three two years ago, these three elites, of course, Davis, Davidson, and Wilson, I said, well, I think Davidson is the one most likely, likely to leave the state if he does leave. This was prior to his mother's passing, of course. And I thought Davis was probably the sure bet to Alabama, which still seems true, and then, Wilson's, uh, you know, sort of in the middle. I think now, you know, fast-forwarding, I think Davidson becomes a guy who's probably not going to leave the state of Alabama. Davis still the same boat with Alabama. And then now Wilson's sort of, I don't want to say a wild card, but a guy who's giving the Gators a legit look. This isn't a PR stunt. This isn't just a, hey, let me put Florida on top today, and then tomorrow it's back to Bama or LSU or, or anybody else. This is a legit you know, the Gators are number one, you know, and that's why I wanted to wait a couple of weeks to go down and see him like I did Friday because he announced, you know, that top group, I believe at the end of September. So I wanted to see how he was reacting a couple of weeks into, you know, his, his quote unquote top group in order. Uh, And he's standing true with it. As, as you mentioned, he was wearing the Gator gloves and the Gator towel. He was uh, playing against Gator commitment, Wan Taylor, who, is another Montgomery area guy who has grown close to Mac Wilson, and those two will actually travel together to LSU on Saturday, not only to see Les Miles and the Tigers, but to see the Gators, who are of course in Baton Rouge. So again, I've always this year I seemingly have talked about it more than ever. You know, visiting teams can benefit from recruiting, and I think the Gators could benefit um, from those guys being on campus uh, at LSU this coming Saturday. So it's a legit threat. It's not. It's not a PR stunt. It's not a, you know, a flash in the pan like if one day Marlon Humphrey said Mississippi State was above Alabama and Florida State for his commitment, like he might have done. I don't think it's that type of scenario. I think it's somewhat close to it, but it's not exactly the same thing. Uh, where I do think it's a little bit of, of showmanship is, is after Florida. He's got LSU 2, Ole Miss 3, then Bama, then Florida State. I think that's where it sort of gets a little uh, showy for Mac Wilson. I think it's more of a Florida gator battle. I think LSU, Ole Miss, uh, Florida State, Oregon, some of these other schools are are, are truly contenders, um, but there's a gap between Florida and Alabama and the rest of those guys, in my opinion. And it makes a lot of sense. Remember, Florida's defense has really never dropped off, despite all the coaching changes, three coaching changes over the last, what, five years or so, whatever it has been. The defense has remained the same, so it's still very attractive to kids – all over the country, now that there's a lot of Alabama ties on that Florida staff, McIlwain, Chris Rump, Doug Nussmeyer. I mean, the list sort of goes on and on. Randy Shannon, who's, you know, a, a well-known guy in the southeast. All of that makes sense for guys considering the Gators, and it's no surprise that, you know, Florida has three commitments in the state of Alabama right now, so those guys are also jumping on the bandwagon recruiting Mac Wilson. So while it is a legit threat, Alabama should still feel pretty good about its own chances. Those same types of things are happening for the Crimson Tide. Your Quinn and Williams, your Riley Coles of the world are still recruiting Mac Aplenty to Alabama. And of course, once one of these other big three uh, guys makes their final decision, that will only help Alabama's pursuit. Theoretically, if Ben Davis commits at the Under Armour game, he'll have a month to help secure Lindell Mac Wilson as well. So I think in the end, it's going to be a on Florida situation, but right now, eight schools on the list. He says it's a final eight, and he says it's in order. But he also admits the gap is pretty uh, pretty close in between some of those top schools, and he has no official visits planned at this time. So, obviously, that means a lot can change.
0: John, maybe an hour or less after Steve Spurrier stepped down, P.J. Blue of Park Crossing uh, decommitted from South Carolina. Do you foresee any involvement at all with he in Alabama? He
7: says Bama was on the short list of schools that he is now looking at. South Carolina still on there, Tennessee, Kentucky, so obviously SEC schools, and then Clemson is on there as well. It was the first school to offer him, so that one makes sense. I'm not quite sure though, Kerry. You know, he reminds me a lot of Shondarius Jennings. I think they're very, very similar. I mean, they're both six-two, they're both over 200 pounds, they're both safeties who will probably end up as outside linebackers. So they're very similar. Uh, in a lot. They both play offense. The only difference right now is that one's committed and the other one's not committed, and one is dealing with a, a, a knee injury that's putting him out for the season, and the other one, P.J. Blue, is not. Uh, so I think that could be a factor down the road, but you, you you think of what's logical here. You know, Sean Jennings is obviously an Alabama legacy, you know, with, with uh, Anthony Jennings on campus and things like that. And also, the DB numbers are pretty tight. You know, uh, safety uh, and a potential linebacker hybrid type, you're not going to bring in more than one of those in one class. And as we just mentioned with Mac Wilson and Ben Davis, the linebacker board is already a busy one, and that's before you even start factoring in all the Jack linebackers. So you think of that and you think of the numbers, and my gut says no, uh, but I wouldn't rule it out all the way. Bama is looking to bring in a safety in this class. Josh Perry is currently committed along with Sean Jennings. We don't know how that's going to end up. Um, Rashad Jones, the number one safety in America, is planning an Alabama official. We don't know how that's going to end up. And then there's Nigel Warrior, who's probably um, the smartest uh, and most college-ready safety on the board. He's got a big group of schools that he is considering. So Bama is among them and high on the list, but there's some big-time contenders, you know, Georgia, Tennessee. So the safety board is, is quite tricky. Again, it's it's not like outside linebacker and Jack and, and defensive end aboard. That's very, very clear. This one has some movement. Uh, it's going to have more movement in the coming weeks, uh, and obviously, PJ Lou could factor in, but my gut says he does not end up at Tus, or excuse me, in Alabama at Tuscaloosa.
1: And John, I wanted to ask you about the secondary. You talked about Sean Darius Jennings, who could be a gray shirt. We will see uh, what happens with that process. But uh, you know, there's been a lot of talk about Nigel Not. You know, he, he pushed back his date. His commitment day, which I think had been September the twenty third. You know, he he, I know he visited Oregon. He was very impressed with that visit. Been kind of quiet since, and I know there's been some some cautious optimism about safety. Nigel Warrior, as far as uh, getting him at at Alabama. I know he's I believe Alabama's top rated safety on their board. The son of Dale Carter, Uh, very good stock. I know you're very high on Nigel from what you've seen of him. Uh, Obviously. Nigel Knott is more of a, uh, a combine guy, a workout guy, maybe not as much production on the field, but still a lot of tools. Uh, where does Alabama stand with those two? Do those two guys still look to you to be a likely additions to the class?
7: Yeah, I mean, I, I wouldn't say both would be likely. I would say Bama will probably end up with one of the two as of right now because of the cloudiness of that safety board. I would say Nigel Not much more likely today just in terms of what we know at this point. The corner board is, is very, very small. You know, um, Obviously, Alabama lost the commitment of Shaheen Carter, um, I guess, a couple of months ago now, and it's really looking like it's going to be hard for the Tide to get all the way back in it. He says they're still under consideration, but certainly Ole Miss feels good, Georgia feels good, and his first official visit has now been planned, and that's to Michigan. So, obviously, When you think of those three schools penciled in for visits and penciled in probably ahead of Alabama, it's going to be tough for him to squeeze in an official to Tuscaloosa. So Carter is a question mark at the cornerback position. Uh, As you mentioned, uh, the safety board, there's not a lot of guys who are safeties that can play corner, which is something we've seen Bama do remarkably in the past, Minka Fitzpatrick. Uh, of the world. The, those guys can do a little bit of everything. Eddie Jackson's of the world. There's not really that guy on the commitment list right now. So specifically at, at just cornerback, Nigel Knott is, is really the not only the next logical option after Shaheen Carter, but maybe the only legit option to, for Alabama in terms of blue-chip guys who have offers, who are takes, who have been on campus. He's really the guy as a pure corner. There's some receivers who can play some corner, like a Trevon Diggs, Demetrius Robertson. Um, Keyshawn Pye Young out of Miami who actually has the top four he released tonight with Bama in it. But pure corners is is the most likely guy. I think Bama is still the favorite for his commitment, even despite that Oregon official visit. To me, if he would have committed that day, September 23rd, it would have been on the heels of that Oregon visit. And I think Oregon would have won out at that point. But because he has pushed it back, it sort of gives you more time to – you know, use the M&M line, snap back to reality, you know, and and think of the Southern schools, think of the SEC schools that have been high on this kid for such a long time. So it's going to come down to the Mississippi schools, Alabama, and Florida State, in my opinion. And I think right now Alabama's in the best shape out of those schools to land Nigel Knob. But I think the reason he pushed it back, in addition to not knowing where he wants to go, is because of his injury. He was dealing with a knee injury. He had just got back on the field a couple of weeks ago. So you would imagine – He wants to sort of settle in and play some ball again before he resumes this activity. But we do know he was at Alabama on Saturday. Very positive reviews from some of the people in attendance, including Ben Davis, who says he's one of the prospects he's growing closest to after taking so many trips to Alabama. And ironically enough, another Mississippi guy BAM fans might want to know about Raekwon Davis, a current commitment among the group of guys Ben Davis says he's growing pretty close to as well. And we all know, Raekwon Davis and Nigel Knott, very, very close from their time as elite recruits together from the state of Mississippi. So it's all sort of connected. That's that's the nature of recruiting today. But in terms of the DB world, I think Nigel not much more likely today than Nigel Warrior, but Bama would surely love to have
1: both. And, John, I wanted to ask about one more uh, young man that has been uh, on a visit to Alabama. And I've heard that he could be higher up the board than once thought, and he's committed to another school, but that school – to me very likely will have a coaching change, and that's Amon Richards. How how high up do you think he is on Alabama's board?
7: Yeah, he's climbing, Drew. You know, receiver is such a complicated position, even if you just look in the state of Florida. There's Calvin Ridley, who, of course, is the younger brother of Calvin Ridley. He spoke to us today, extremely excited about Alabama, as you would imagine, based on what his brother is doing, really pumped about that. There's Keith Gavin, the former Florida State commitment, very high on Alabama's list. They like him as a receiver, despite others listing him as an athlete. So uh, Bama probably the favorite for him. So that's two receivers in addition to T.J. Simmons. So is there another spot going to be created? If there is, I think there's several guys in play. I mentioned Demetrius Robertson in the past. I think McCole Hardman out of Georgia is a guy Bama would love to be in it with until the end. You have A.J. Brown over in Mississippi. As I said, the receiver board is deep. It is thick. But the guy – Trending upwards the most, just in terms of from an evaluation standpoint, is Amon Richards uh, from the state of Florida, committed to Miami. Um, Yeah, there could be a coaching change. There probably should be a coaching change. Maybe should have already been a coaching change at Miami. So that is certainly something he's going to keep an eye on. Uh, That's something every Miami commitment is going to keep an eye on. Sam Bruce, another committed to Miami that Bama likes that could take an official visit to Alabama. As I said, receiver board pretty crazy, but Richards is a guy who's picked up some momentum from the Alabama perspective. He was able to unofficially visit already, which is good, because now he can return for an official visit and sort of get the full, you know, crimson and white rundown, which will obviously only help Alabama's chances in the end. So it's going to be interesting to see how Alabama plays it, because no matter what, the receiver group is going to be a great one. You're going to have Simmons, a couple of guys from Florida, maybe another out-of-state guy, you know, Brown from Mississippi or Robertson from Georgia, somebody like that. So it's going to be a great group regardless of who the final guys are. But how Alabama goes about selecting and pushing for guys at different times I think could be very, very key uh, because it looks like a lot of these guys sort of want to wait. So which one pulls the trigger first and does that start a domino effect with some of these other guys who have Bama very high on the list? We haven't even talked about, you know, Trevon Diggs or some of these other guys. So, again, the receiver board probably or easily – the most complicated one to follow for Bama fans. But as I, I tell it, you know our guys on BamaMag.com, I mean, the group's going to be gaudy and really, really nice to look at and, and a lot of stars and a lot of star power pretty much no matter what. That's not even including Devin Doverney from Texas who just visited officially. So, again, a lot of receivers on here, but Bama's going to take at least three, maybe four, going to be some great names. But Richard is certainly one of the newer names to keep a very close eye on.
0: All right, John, well, since we're not going to talk about offensive tackles tonight, I'll ask you about my second favorite position (laughs) to ask you about, which is inline blocking tight end. Now, I hate to admit that I watch Chrisley Knows Best with my wife. It's a reality show about a rich family. (laughs) I know where you're going with this. The girl uh, three years ago had a crush on a guy who was then playing for Buford High School. He's now Mm -hmm. uh, down at uh, IMG. Tell me, uh, now that uh, it's been a bad week, John, for coaches named Steve, but now that Steve Sarkeesian is out at USC, tell me about this uh, visit that Alabama is apparently going to get and the possibility of an actual commitment from arguably the best tight end in this class, Isaac Nata.
7: Well, he's definitely, if he's not the best, he's the most ready to play today. I mean, I think that guy could suit up for a lot of Division one schools and, and get five catches for a 55-yard and a touchdown on Saturday. But Isaac Nada, obviously well-renowned, a guy a lot of people know about, was committed to Alabama. He's got an interesting story, as you mentioned, from Buford, Georgia, starred for one of the best programs in Georgia for several years, transferred to IMG down in Florida, ended up a Florida State commitment. A lot of that made a lot of sense, um, but a lot of change down at IMG went down, and some homesickness possibly factored in for Nada, so he backs off of the Florida State Pledge, and now it's looking like sort of an SEC thing. It looks like George is the front runner going back to the home state. Um, you know, some other schools have been linked to him. He's going to take official visits to Michigan, TCU, and USC was on that list prior to this Sarkeesian news, which is a whole different craziness um, that we really don't experience a whole lot in covering recruiting, but that's besides the point right now. But with NADA, with that USC visit now taken off the table, Bama, is slated to get that visit. And it's going to be for the visit weekend in terms of all the fall games in 2015. It's going to be for LSU, which is shaping up to be just a massive, massive group of visitors. So obviously, Nada, if he's from Georgia, the Atlanta area, just north of there, he's got some familiarity with Tuscaloosa. He's only been uh, once or twice, I believe, but he's very familiar with the Bama program, he wants to play in a pro-style offense. So, you know, the TCU official visit, maybe Ole Miss, that that kind of stuff I think is is just to see it. He's never been out there. It makes a lot of sense. I think it really comes down to the pro-style teams, which is why USC made a lot of sense in terms of a dark horse for his commitment. But at the end of the day, it looks like it could be Georgia versus everybody else. So if Bama can make a, a play in between now and that official visit, then lock him in, get him on campus for that trip, you never know you know he's a pro style guy oj howard could blow up at the end of this year and go to the nfl for all we know Um, So NADA wants to play now, and he wants to go to an offense that can build him, you know, for the NFL, which is his ultimate goal. He's going to play day one regardless of where he goes. So that's a good thing for Alabama. It's played a lot of true freshmen, as we just mentioned earlier, on both sides of the football. So I think it's still a a bit of a long shot, but Bama is obviously very interested. They're interested in taking another tight end, which would be three in this class. I think all three would be very different. NADA, clearly the most polished. He can block. He's not a great blocker, but he can block. Uh, obviously, gifted receiver, great route runner, great hands. Miller Forrestall, project guy, long and lean, sort of like O.J. Howard coming out of high school. And then Brendan Scales is the ultimate wild card. He hasn't really played tight end for more than a year, so um, he could be an offensive guy. He can end up on defense from what I'm hearing as well. Fullback, I mean, he's he's really a wild card. I wouldn't even consider him a tight end at this point. So the tight end board... A little tricky. There's still Nick Eubanks and some other guys out there, but Nada, of course, a five-star, the number one guy at the position. Bama has zeroed in on him and has recruited him for a long time. It just hasn't been reciprocated as much. So he's very familiar with Alabama, though. He hasn't seen the tide on his top five list over the last few years. So now Bama's making a move. There's the Lane Kiffin factor. Um, obviously, there's all the traditional factors that um, appeal for kids with Alabama. So again, if you make if you you put in work in between now and that visit, and then you actually get him on campus, and he's still truly evaluating all the schools, I think he got a really really good shot uh, for Isaac Nada. That atmosphere is going to be crazy, uh, and obviously, you know, when Nick Saban's got intimate time with a kid who he prioritizes, good things usually happen.
1: And John, to piggyback off of Isaac Nada, who you know, I still think Georgia would probably be the favorite. Uh, but what about uh, a kid that visited recently that I know Coach LaFoy is very high on, same high school, and I know you spoke with him recently. What about Devin Assisi and where he could fit in?
7: Yeah, you know, Davis High School is another one that, you know, those kids, him and, and Boss Tagaloa, the defensive tackle there, a four-star guy, Those are some potential benefits for Bama in addition to NADA with this whole Sarkeesian thing. Now, it should be noted that UCLA is probably the favorite, or it is the favorite for Tagaloa, the defensive tackle, and probably the favorite for Afiafi, the tight end. However, he took uh, the visit to Alabama a couple of weeks ago. There was some confusion as to whether or not it was an unofficial visit or an official visit, and that's important because obviously if it was an unofficial, he could return on Alabama's dime, and that's exactly how it turned out, uh, and he liked what he saw at that from that standpoint. Obviously, the Tosh Lupoi connection is massive here. It's really the only consistent connection, aside from some familiarity with what Lane Kiffin did at USC. So I think um, those two guys remaining on staff would probably be necessary for Asiasi going forward. But, again, he's another one. He's sort of like Brennan Scales, Drew. You know, he's a guy who plays uh, all over the place, defensive end. He's played some H-back, tight end as well. So, perhaps not as polished as nada but not as raw as brendan scales or Forrestall. so he's an interesting one and probably the best blocker of the four guys that we've talked about for this tight end position so i think uh still a, a little bit of a long shot getting kids from california very very tough but you've got a coaching change at southern cal uh ucla i mean god knows i mean jim warren might want to go back to the nfl after the success he's having this year who knows from that standpoint, UCLA can't get all of the kids USC uh, loses out on. So that's going to be an interesting scenario within and of itself. So Bama could uh, play a bigger role in, in the Los Angeles area than it has before. It's got Lane Kiffin. It's got Tosh Lupoy. So it could be a good year to snag another kid or two from California. And Asi Asi, especially when he sets that official visit to return to Bama, which could, again, be before that LSU game November 7th, then he becomes a major kid to keep an eye on.
0: Well, John, I can't help myself. Is there going to be a left tackle in this class?
7: (laughs) You know, I was actually working the phones a little bit today. There was some chatter that Greg Little might have set his uh, official visit date to Alabama over the last 48 hours or so, but I was able to confirm that that has not yet happened. And that's obviously... Pretty big news. Greg Little, the unanimous number one left tackle guy who, you know, some people think is Cameron Robinson 2.0, perhaps even better at this point in his high school career and clearly the top target for Alabama. You know, he's got official visits already in the books to Auburn. He took one to Georgia um, two weeks ago to actually see Alabama play. But, of course, Georgia hosted him officially. And then he's locked one in now for LSU. So, obviously, two visits left. Officially, but the, the X factor here is his commitment date. He's committing November 4th. So, if he is going to make an official visit to Alabama, it looks like the only time that they can get it done is actually when Alabama is off. That would be Halloween weekend, which is good in the standpoint of timing because it's a few days before he makes a commitment, which of course would get everybody thinking that Greg Little was going to end up at Alabama. Um, but of course, you got to actually get the visit set. So, Bama does not have it set as of my last check today. So that is really priority number one, get Greg Little's official set, because, you know, it's the off-campus stuff, it's the -the off-the-field stuff that matters most for Bama with him right now, and I think that's what's unique for Alabama versus every other school on his list. He's already seen Bama play twice this year. He was at the opener in Arlington for Bama, Wisconsin, and as I mentioned, he saw Bama, Georgia. So in terms of looking at guys on the field, he's gotten all of that. He's gotten that twice so now you need the other side of it. And 48 hours where he could be potentially the sole official visitor when Bama is not game planning and Bama is not busy in its normal weekend schedule, that could be a extremely beneficial X factor for Greg Little. So if he sets that official visit for Halloween week, and I think Bama, a big clear favorite for that November 4th commitment should he still go through for that decision. So I, of course, everything starts there uh, at offensive tackle. And then there's, you know, a bunch of names after that. It's sort of like wide receiver, you know. It's almost the floodgates opening if he picks A&M or LSU or Ole Miss, which is sort of the trend you pick at this point.
1: And, John, obviously uh, uh, Greg Little is still the top guy uh, at offensive tackle for Alabama, but should he choose another school on November the 4th, do you still think Alabama pursues another offensive lineman? And would somebody like John DeLance be a guy, or even Kellen Deish? I know Kellen Deesh decommitted from Arkansas, but most seem to think he's going to end up at A&M because Greg Little is not. But do you think John DeLance could be the other offensive tackle?
5: Yeah, you know,
7: Texas and that midlands area, Texas, Oklahoma, I think is going to factor into this thing for Bama regardless. Of course, Little's from there the two guys you just mentioned from Texas as well. And then you have Tremonde Moore from up in Oklahoma. I think those four will be major potential guys that are offensive tackle. But I think if if Bama misses on a Little, I think you could see almost what you saw last year in Bama saying, well, we've got a pretty good group already committed. So it becomes a question. Do we use another spot on the offensive line? Or, Drew, the question we've had a million times, does that extra spot now go to a second running back or how about a third tight end, perhaps a fourth wide receiver? That's when you play the numbers game. What is the, the priority? Because just like last year, Bama can afford to move one of these guys to left tackle. Jonah Williams is an elite talent. You don't hear enough about this kid. I'm telling you, I talked to a lot of offensive line evaluators. They say the kid is just a freak. They say he's a no-brainer, can't-miss guy. A lot of the similar things that I was hearing about Lester Cotton a season ago, and we all saw how that worked out. People wondered if he could play left tackle, and sure enough, he ends up being, uh, I believe, for a portion of this year, he was the backup left tackle to Cam Robinson. So he wasn't expected to do that, but he is doing that at Alabama. So you have Jonah Williams in your back pocket. You also have Charles Baldwin in your back pocket. He's a guy who's playing junior college ball right now, four-star top offensive tackle recruit in that uh, junior college ranking. So he's a guy who could play some left tackle, for you as well. Not ideal, not Greg Little, but something you can manage over the next couple of seasons before you get that pure left tackle. And as you guys well know, the class of 2017 loaded with tackles, and there's two elite guys who will be top 100 prospects in the state, really in North Alabama, and uh, Kendall Randolph and Austin Troxel. So you can sort of revert the plan to that if you have to, but again, Bama's going to go all in for Greg Little, and I think A lot of guys will be in the mix after that point. It just becomes a question of what do you want to do with those final two or three spots? You know, where do you delegate those spots out? Are you comfortable with Williams and or Baldwin playing left tackle, following Cam Robinson once he heads to the NFL? Um, Or do you want to sacrifice a receiver or running back or possibly a tight end or maybe even a Jack linebacker um, for another left tackle who's maybe more of a project, who two, three years down the road, could become your next Chance Wormack, who goes from a three-star to you know first-round first, first round NFL draft pick. And I think that's where those guys could factor in. DeLance, Deitch, uh, Tremonde Moore. You've got Jawan Williams from out in Washington, D.C. Terrence Davis from Washington, D.C. There's sort of this lump of guys, John Simpson out of South Carolina, which is probably more interesting now with Spurrier's news because most people thought he would end up as a Gamecock. So there's, there's a, a, a thick group of kids, you know, 8 to 10, where – if Little does not end up at Alabama, the, the floodgates will open and it'll become very interesting. And it really, as it always seems to do, it'll come down to what Alabama wants. Do you, do you want to add to the running back hall? Do you want to add to tight end, uh, defensive back, linebacker? Or do you want to just get this true five-man offensive line and sort of go from there? So I, I think they would probably want to stay um, towards the offensive line. That's sort of the Bama way. That's where they always have wanted to build inside out. But this is also 2015, you know, times are changing. So maybe that next receiver, particularly if you can get a game-breaking type of guy like a Devin Duvernay or a big physical kid that can outmatch DBs like a Keith Gavin, maybe you give him the spot. So it really gets tricky there at the end. But I think if Little does not pick Bama November 4th, expect a long way of waiting before Bama has its answer at the offensive line position, closer to National Signing Day even.
0: Okay, John, that's great info. And final question for me, Drew may have one or two more, but final question for me, uh, within the state of Alabama, there, there seems to be uh, one or two sleepers in the senior class of 2016, some of which have visited recently, some of which may visit in the future. Kind of tell our listeners uh, who some names that are new to the Alabama Recruiting Board, or at least the upper echelon of it, from within the state of Alabama in the 2016 class might be.
7: Yeah, I mean, there's there's some guys seriously getting evaluated that we weren't talking about, you know, even two months ago. I think uh, Calvin Lucky from out of Edgewood High School or Edgewood Academy, I should say, he's a six-six defensive end from Nigeria. You guys remember the story of Prince Tego Winoko. He's the next guy at the same school. A little different skill set, he's more of a, a tight end than a defensive end today. But, again, he's extremely raw, just like Prince Tego was, and he's sort of just now picking up traction. And it's important to note, at this time last year, Tego wasn't picking up a lot of traction. So he's ahead of the pace right now. Vanderbilt just became his first SEC offer, I believe, Monday. Um, So that ball is certainly rolling. He has visited Alabama of late, as has his quarterback, Nathan Rourke, who's sort of known as the Canadian Johnny Manziel. I don't envision Alabama taking another quarterback, but if a gray shirt type of route um, is expected or could be managed, I think he's a kid who uh, who could pick up uh, some interest from Alabama in that light. But the guy who, who Drew knows I'm going to talk about is Caleb Barker. He's a kid that I think could help out a lot of teams at a lot of different positions. And the coolest thing is that he's open to that out of Priceville High School, 6'2", 200 pounds, runs a good four, five, four, six, forty 40-yard dash, plays good you know, safety right now. He's a quarterback who's threatening all these touchdown records in Alabama. He's a guy who visited Alabama just this past week that had a lot of interaction with Mel Tucker, and I think he's probably the most likely of this group to get anything tangible from Alabama down the road. It'll have to be after plenty of evaluation, Mel Tucker told him, hey, look, if you're from North Alabama, which is, of course, his region, he says, I'm not going to miss on a good kid from my region I think it's why you saw a lot of walk-ons from North Alabama in this past class I think Barker could be in between that and a gray type of guy if things work out a certain way with Alabama so I expect Bama to continue to evaluate these guys and state like they seemingly always do um, so it could be a name we're not even talking about right now but those three are the ones I'd keep a close eye on just in general or a loose eye I put them on the back burner for now and we could say I told you so later.
1: Well, yeah, John. There's no doubt about that. I, you know, I really love Caleb Barker. I'm going to watch him one more time, probably on October the 23rd uh, when they to, when they go to D.A.R. Uh, nearby, where my parents reside. That's where my father went to high school, and they they're having one of their better years. They look like they're going to make the playoffs, but Priceville has been pretty unstoppable thus far. And uh, just my final question, I guess, uh, you know, because we haven't talked too much about him because he's a commitment. But uh, And he has uh, not been playing the last few weeks because of an injury. But what has been your take thus far on the season and who you've talked to and what you've seen out of Riley Cole? Uh, I, I've heard he's been very productive, has been their leading receiver at tight end. And also, of course, a, he's a long snapper, which a lot of people may not have known. And then, of course, was averaging around 14, 15 tackles a game. But how have you felt like he's performed? Because I was a little bit surprised he wasn't named to the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game.
7: Oh yeah, well, Drew, don't get me started on the Alabama-Mississippi All-Star game. I mean, ten SEC commitments from the state are not playing in the game. That alone is oh,
1: ridiculous. Pretty, Just ridiculous. yeah, it's, it's laughable.
7: Yeah, but but you know, it's a deep year in the state. We've well documented that, and only forty guys can make it, et cetera, et cetera. But Cole, he's he's an interesting one. You know, he's one of these five-tool guys. He's a good, he's good at his projected position, which is, of course linebacker, inside linebacker, specifically for Alabama. As you mentioned, he can long snap, he can play tight end. He's also a grades guy, you know, very, very high GPA, good ACT score, so he's going to help you out in the APR as well. So he he kind of has everything you want for in a commitment, and he's very solid and not looking at any other school. So he's a guy you don't have to worry about as much, which is probably part of the reason we don't talk about him as much. But from what I've heard, very similar to you, Drew, he's very productive, he's very consistent, and that's sort of been his thing all along. You know, he's you know, he, he doesn't look like maybe he can do some of the things he can do, but he is athletic. He can play in space. I remember when he won MVP uh, at the Birmingham uh, – or, excuse me, at the Atlanta Nike camp in the rain, you know, against Ben Davis, against Mack Wilson. It was Riley Cole who was named MVP of that event. And it's because of purely how he could play in space. So you couple that with the fact that you know when it comes down to it, he's going to be a dozen-tackle-a-game type kid playing for Onyana High School, which you know is a disciplined program well-coached, he's going to run sophisticated defense. It's not just a line-up-and-go-make-a-play type of unit. So he's got a lot of things going for him. They're just not as as flashy as some of the other names in the state of Alabama. And as you said, Drew, coming off of a knee injury, he's slowly coming back. now. So I'm interested to see how he finishes up. And as you mentioned, I wanted to sort of just wait and see him at the end of the process like we did with Keith Holcomb two cycles ago where he was night and day from his junior season, seen him at the end there at the Alabama-Mississippi week, but Cole did not make it, so we're going to have to try to make it to Honey for a playoff game to get that final in-person evaluation. But I think he's just going to be one of these solid three-star guys that ends up possibly surprising you down the road, similar to me um, with a guy like D- Sean Dion Hamilton. He's a guy that in high school I thought would be a solid Alabama player, and I thought would probably be a little more developmental than he has been uh, in Tuscaloosa. He's actually been a contributor much sooner than I anticipated. So I think Cole could be that type of guy. Sean Dion, not the most athletic kid, not the biggest kid, but he's extremely bright, picks up on things very well. He got on campus early. He got going early. He bought in, and he sort of was uh, this sponge that was willing to do a little bit of anything for Alabama football. And I think Riley Cole, will do just that. And it could even be a long snapper day one, and then you figure it out after that point. So he's a guy that you want to bring in. He's a guy that can do a lot of uh, things for you. Maybe you redshirt him and, and put on 15, 20 pounds year one and go from there. So there's a lot of avenues and options with Riley Cole. But, again, I didn't expect Sean on Hamilton to be doing all the things he's doing, so maybe Cole is, is, is that guy in this 2016 class.
0: Well, John, we want to thank you, as always, for your time. You're certainly a uh, fellow member of the Scout family and a fellow member of the Bama Sports Radio family with your podcast, Crimson and Blue Chips. Always a good listen for those of you wanting to keep up with all things Alabama, not just recruiting. And, of course, John is a major contributor on BamaMag.com and Scout.com. So thank you so much for your time again tonight, John Garcia, Jr., and have a great evening, sir. Always good to be on Bama. Appreciate you guys. All right. Thank you, John. I really appreciate it. Yep, great job as always, and uh, we've got a, a loyal listener that's been hanging on hold for a long time, maybe 20, 25 minutes, and in recognition of that, I want to go ahead and bring him on. Uh, I don't know if Thomas is giving him some walk-up music or what, but go ahead. and Not quite What yet. you got tonight for us, uh, you can call him Daniel, you can call him Payne, you can call him Bring the Pain. just don't call him an Auburn man.
1: What is up, Bring the Pain?
8: What's going on, guys? How y'all doing tonight?
1: Good, good, Payne. How you doing, bud?
8: i um, a little under the weather. Uh, got in a fixin', but still, I'm still here.
1: Absolutely good to hear that. Man, we know you'll get better, and I know you're fired up probably for the Tide Saturday. Big uh, time test in College Station, Texas, coming up uh, against Texas A&M. Yeah, I am.
8: Uh, I was going to ask you about that game, uh, what do y'all think about it? But first, there's a few questions I want to ask just uh, right off the top of my head. The Arkansas game, mm-hmm. what do y'all think about that video, that surface of what Brett Billima did when Cam Robinson got that unsportsmanlike conduct on him? Uh, what do y'all think about the way Steve Spurrier stepped down from coaching? The USC coach in California getting fired, and do you think Lane Kiffin and Kirby Smart's leaving?
1: Uh, well, I will I will let Kerry answer the first couple. Uh, I will answer the last one. Uh, I do think Lane Kiffin is gone. He will be gone in January. I can just about guarantee that. Kirby Smart, I will say, uh, he he did have South Carolina on his short list of schools, of jobs he would be interested in if it did come open. I do know uh, that there, there is some interest there on both between both parties. I think some boosters that are high level like Kirby, I think Kirby likes that program. I think he'll take a close look at it. It would not shock me. Uh, if he got that job, especially if Alabama has a, a great year and can win in College Station and continue to build, um, I will say this: I think Jeremy Pruitt would be the most likely replacement uh, for uh, uh, Kirby Smart, and and I, I think he would actually be—I uh, don't know—you you could say upgrade, but I, I get the way I'd say upgrade is from a talent and evaluation uh, standpoint in recruiting. I do think uh, Kirby's a heck of a coach. No doubt about that, but I think Pruitt is as well, and I think it would be a seamless transition. Now, I'll, I've already kind of given my take earlier in the show on Steve Spurrier and the Bush League move by uh, WWE Bielema, but I'll let Kerry kind of give his take on it.
0: Okay, well, on Bielema and on Sarkeesian, I think you asked about that too. Yes, uh, you did. I, I'll, I'll answer those both with uh, the fact that what they did, pain uh, is named after one of my favorite presidents, Bush League. I, I, I really don't know how a nice way to say about what either one of them did. Uh, when you go coach a football game and you're drunk, you got problems way, way beyond the realm of the ordinary and you need help. And uh, he's going to get that help. Uh, I don't really know what USC is going to do down the road for a coach. Back to Bielema. Uh, you know, <laughs> Daniel, I think you're old enough to remember watching the Three Stooges when you were growing up. Uh, yeah. this, this, is Cur- this is Curly Joe on the sidelines, a freaking Stooge coaching in the SEC. Uh, he found out the hard way that he's in a little bit over his head. Uh, there was all these great projections for this wonderful season Arkansas was going to have. And now... They're 2-4, and four, and they're going to have to fight to get to a bowl game. Now, I do think they'll spank all of them, but they're still going to have to fight to get to a bowl game, okay? So he is underachieving down there and acting like a, a clown on the sidelines. And, I, I mean, Bush League, I don't, I don't really know a nice way to say it. Uh, I didn't have a ton of respect for him going in. But after seeing that, I just I just got no use for the guy. I just think he's a I, he's a smart guy, so I don't want to say he's an idiot, but at the same time, he, he needs to grow the heck up. That's about all I'll say about that. Um, but I know you got some other football questions too.
3: Hello. Yeah, he, yeah. Just, he just dropped it. Just dropped. Okay,
1: it. I will say this: we'll, we'll kind of end it with this. We'll give our predictions again. Bring the pain. I think Alabama's the better football team. I think Texas A&M is very talented. I think Alabama's going to win 31-21. And just before I go off the air, I want to thank – got a new listener tonight. We always want to expand our listening group. Very nice lady that I've recently met, Deborah Big. She was joining us tonight listening intently. Big Alabama fan in Birmingham. And we want to thank her for joining the BAMS Radio family and listening. She used to listen back in the day when Bird did the show. You know, and uh, now she's back listening again. We want to thank her for joining us tonight.
0: Oh yes, thank you, Deborah. And uh, I'll give my prediction second then Thomas can close it out. Uh I think uh, thirty eight to twenty eight Alabama, I think it'll be a high scoring game. If you love defense, it's probably not the game you want to watch. I I I do think A and M will move the ball on Alabama, but I think I, I think they just in, in the long run will not be able to stop Derrick Henry and even to a degree Kenyon Drake. I think the much maligned Alabama offensive line should be chopping at the because I think they're in for a big day Saturday, Thomas. Uh,
3: if there's a if there's a guy that will cause Texas A&M fit, it's Kenyon Drake. But I think the combination will do enough for Alabama to win thirty-five, thirty-one. Um, if you, like I said on Drew's show this past Monday, if you have fingernails and you chew on your fingernails, you will no longer have fingernails after this one. Yeah, it
1: should be a really heck of a ball game. Two high-level teams, but I think Alabama finds a way to get it done. And just to update our listeners, unfortunately, the run for Thomas's adopted team, the Houston Astros, is over. The Royals come back to win seven to two after being down two to nothing. So two big comebacks by Toronto and Kansas City tonight.
3: You, you know, Drew, I would be sad about that, but I get to go to the Saints Falcons game tomorrow. So there you go. Let's go <laughs> yeah. Falcons. Yeah, and, and Thomas is pulling for the Saints. No, oh, no, 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 no,
0: Everybody in Mobile but Jimmy Stein pulls through the Saints, Thomas. And,
3: and, and, well, then <laughs> Jimmy up. Stein and I are the only smart people in this city.
0: Oh, I'm glad to hear that. Okay, well, thank you, guys. Go Falcons here, too. It's going to be fun flipping back and forth between uh, the Falcons and the Kentucky. But thank you for joining us for Bama's uh, Radio, members of the Bama Sports Radio family. I'm Kerry Clark from BamaMag.com for Judy Armand. Of ESPN 977 Sloan Huntsville and Thomas Watts the touch Alabama Magazine. Good night and roll tide, everybody. Roll tide.